This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. And welcome to Sloppy Seconds. This week on this week's episode, we have the legendary Miss Coco Peru. And it is what? such a good Fun. interview. I love her. <laughs> We're just nailing it these yes! days. Yes. Well, we got great How guests. Incredible. Um, we talk about Coco's career. We talk about what inspires her. We talk about all the amazing things she's done, the incredible projects she's worked on. I mean, talk about life advice, guru chats. Like, this is a good listen. Yeah, I'm super excited for you guys to hear this. And she talks about poop at the end. <sighs> Goodbye. I'm embarrassed. Enjoy. And if, and if you're in L.A. tonight, please come to Fat Slut. We got Tammy Brown, Kim Chi. And a whole lineup of other divas you should see. All right, let's party. Bye. Forever. Dog. When first choice is a big old bus. Just turn around and boom. You end up with us. number is 213-536-9180. Our email is sloppysecondspod at gmail.com. Now on with the show. Are you ready for some sloppy seconds, you stupid little fuck you, not a little fuck you, don't little fuck you, stupid little fuck? I'm Big Dipper and that's me, Paul. Welcome back no, to Sloppy you... Seconds with Big Dipper and me, Paul. Oh, did you go to your vocal coach today? That was me flatlining. No, you I seem... didn't make it to class today. You seem warmed up. I'm ready, baby. I'm up. What? I'm awake. I slept normal last night. Okay. 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 Uh, we have talk about uh, a, a start to the year, 2022. Legends only. Absolutely. Um, everyone has been raving about our uh, episode last week with Rocco Steele. Um, and this week we have. Icon and legend herself. You've seen her on stage and screen, TV, film, YouTube, a lover of bargains, bobs, and big box stores. The tension tamer T diva herself. It is Coco Peru! What a great intro. You wrote that. I did. I did. Yes, I I, I did. I'll email it over to you. (laughs) Would you consider the flip a bob? Is it in the bob family? I think no. I don't know. I'm. I, I don't know anything. All I know is that was, I could take care of the flip. Anything else bigger than that flip? I was. I was a mess. I have no skills when it comes to hair or makeup or costumes or anything like that. So um, I was so broke when I started Coco Pro. I was relying on the kindness of strangers, and then um, then I got to the point where I felt like, okay, now I'm just annoying these people, you know, going to the hairdresser every couple of weeks. So um, that hair just came about because it was the only thing I could take care of. Now, how how are you taking care of it? Like, I I need to know, 
Are you recurling the flip? I just Marcia Brady I, at night. I, I, I wash her out. I, 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 you know, I break. I take the comb down. I break it into little sections, uh-huh. and I stick a curler in there. You know, the uh, steam curlers. It works like a charm. Okay. Is there is there more than one? Yeah. How many of them do you? Have? There are there are a couple now, but. The only reason that happens, I traveled for years with one wig. And one time in a dressing room, another queen asked me, how many wigs do you have? I said, one. I take very good care of my things. And she's a girl. What if something ever happened to that one wig while you were out on the road? Right. And this fear, like raw fear, went through my body because I realized, I never thought of that. So now I travel with two. You know, oh, okay. Have you you know Jody Harsh probably? She also has an iconic wig. She has the big left swoop, and yep. she'll post pictures of them. And she has like thirty of them, and they're all, and they all identical. The and I'm like, at a certain point, if you have one for every day of the month, it's time to stop. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> they're just multiplying at that point. Yeah, they're, like there's some weird science going on. Did you, so was there ever a period, we want to get to the beginning, but while we're talking about the iconic hair, was there, were you ever blonde? Did you ever do an updo? Did you ever have other, or it's like this was it right from no. the beginning? The, in the very beginning, my hair was very, it was larger and more complicated. And that's why I was going to my niece's friend, Frank, <laughs> to get my wig done. Okay. And he was very sweet at first, but like after a year of me going there and him doing it for free, and it was a big job. Yeah. Uh, I could see him roll his eyes <laughs> as I approached the, the shop. <laughs> but was even like, then, I, was it red? And it, it was, was always style. It was always red. Okay. Now, of course, back then, you know, Madonna was all the rage and I thought, I'm going to be a platinum blonde. And I put on the blonde wig. And I had never done drag before. So I wrote my show first, and then I was discovering what I was going to look like because I had already booked the show. For the 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 show. show. Yes, I had already booked the show. I'd never done drag before. And it was like a drag show or a theater show? It was a Coco Peru theater show, and I had never, but I had never done drag. Wait a minute. (laughs) You made the whole show? Wait, wait, wait. We got to backtrack. We got to go back. We got to go back. We got to go back. Take us back to the very beginning. Okay. How did you decide that you were going to do a drag show? Like, was there a call for an open slot and you just... No. I wanted to be a cabaret performer because I had had experiences in college with that. And Jonathan Lawson, who wrote Rent, I was in a couple of cabaret shows with him. He wrote the music. So I was... I loved the world of cabaret. Not the cabaret where people sing like the Great American Songbook, although I think that's great, but the cabarets that I was involved in were very political, very like out there and sometimes even politically incorrect, you know, (laughs) to make make the point. And um, so that's what I wanted to do. Then I went, I actually talk about this in the new show that I just wrote. I went to Peru, I met a drag queen down there and at that time in Peru, it was very Catholic, very homophobic, very, the, the, the gay community was so underground. And yet this drag queen was famous in Peru. And I just became obsessed with how does a drag queen become loved in a country like that? Wow. And so I started thinking there's got to be some sort of powerful transformation that occurs when you have the courage to be authentic 
Yeah. I had been so shamed growing up being called a girl and all this stuff. And I had gone to theater school where I was always told to lose the Bronx accent, to butch up. And I wasn't even out then. So this was doubly shaming. And Mm. so um, when I met that drag queen, it put the seed in my mind that um, I needed to own everything I had been taught to hate about myself. And so I started writing a show from this perspective. And then I called myself Coco and I edited the Peru. And then um, I booked the show three months (laughs) before I ever did drag. And And you had never like put on a dress or just flounced around in a room, tried something out? Uh, Once in college, I did do boy drag, I would say. Okay. That was inspired by Boy George, like that. Mm. And because I was broke and I Uh had no money to buy a costume. And another time in my house, we had, I had gotten a video camera for Christmas. Yeah. And I put on a wig and a dress that my sister had. It didn't even fit me. And I lip synced respect. Ah! And I watched it and thought, that's really good. (laughs) (laughs) Release the tapes. Release the the tapes. That's a star right I, there, baby. And that, you know, you need that. If confidence. I'm going to be honest, yeah. people, if I'm going to be honest, back then I was actually terrified of drag queens. I am oh, sure. I'm currently terrified of drag queens. <laughs> you look in the mirror, me, Bobby. Burn it. Well, no. no, it's it's. Um, I was reading uh, some articles that some interviews that you had done, and there, I think there, especially you have seen so much. Um, happen throughout your career with the the adoration of drag queens and how it was a very underground, a very taboo thing to becoming oh a little uh, a little sprinkle, a little extra something at a party. Now it's a a, a mainstream, yeah, it's uh, crazy. you know, it's a form of media. So it, I can only imagine that it was like scary and and sort of especially for. People who have internalized shame. Yeah. It feels like the gayest possible thing, right? It was a big secret. I had to like keep it a secret from like any guy that I was interested in that I did drag because that was an automatic, like, no, I can't date you. Hide the wigs or the wig. And then um, I. I, (laughs) Just the one. Well, yeah, just the one. Exactly. (laughs) Just toss it in the closet. You say that reminded me because I lived in New York like maybe two years before RuPaul's. Did you? Where? I lived in the Lower East Side in the East Village. Oh, okay. In the East Village. Um, And I lived there like two years before RuPaul's Drag Race came out. But me and my friends would go to the gay bars and we would see like Bob back when she was kitten with a whip and stuff. And Mm -hmm. I was terrified to talk to them. I was like, these people are so scary. They're beautiful. They run the show. They're in, in so much command of the room that I was like nervous about it. But now that you said that, I was like, oh, yeah, it's probably because at, at, when I was at acting school at the time, they were telling me the same thing they were telling you, like, quit yeah. being so faggy, butch it up. Da, 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 da. And yeah. So I was like trying to stay away from them. And now yes. I am them. And then I, I, I also, at the time when I created Coco and I started to tell uh, people what I plans on doing... I was met with drag queens don't talk. Uh, Right. Doing monologues. You're talking about politics and the church. And like people couldn't figure it out. But I had a real vision for myself. And once I committed to saying the words out loud, I'm a drag queen, it was like the universe. And it really, I'm not even, this is so real to me. It was 
the first time in my life, I felt like the path was laid out and the universe was saying, yes, things started to fall into place. And for the first time in my life, I had a goal that was bigger than my fears. My fears had directed my whole life. And this was the first time I had something that was bigger than my gigantic, enormous fears. And to this day, I have horrible stage fright, terrible fears, fears of being judged, fears of not being liked, all of that stuff still is in me. And yet Coco has allowed me to focus that that attention on that there's something bigger than me. Wow. And so that's what drives me forward. That's incredible that's so because cool. there, there are a lot of people we talk to about the beginning stages of their career. And I know, I think for both Meatball and I, like it was just, oh, I'll try that one time or, oh, let me get up here and see that or let me write a song or let me do this. And what's so interesting here is that I was going to ask, did you think after that first show that decades later this was – gonna be the path you're on and clearly it seems like uh yeah i had a vision the world opened I, up for you i thought it would open up and i would play like other parts and uh, be more of an actor i didn't realize that coco would be the thing you were but, brand, you know, branded from the beginning yes and and that's okay and and years ago i i went through a you know this life is up and down. It's never an easy thing. And I was in a real down slump and I had said, I'm quitting drag. I can't do this anymore. And my mother said, you better be good to Coco because she's been very good to you. And I thought, if my mom can see that, then I need to to rethink this and, and just get focused again on what the goals are. And my, and my husband keeps me very grounded because whenever I start to compare myself to other people or their careers mm-hmm. or, you know, here I write a show for months, editing, rehearsing. I have spent fortune making tracks. And then, um, you know, some queen from RuPaul's Drag Race is lip syncing one song and doing it poorly because she's three sheets to the winds. Correct. <laughs> well, they're, correct. Making, yes. they're making three times four times the money that I could ever ask for. Yeah, well, more well-known or in the moment doesn't mean more talented. It is so crushing sometimes. But my husband will always say, why did you create Coco Peru? And that puts me right back at the bottom line, which is I wanted to make the world a better place for future generations of LGBTQ people. And as soon as I get back to that baseline, the other stuff kind of falls away. Mm. the comparing yourself to other people and all the stuff that we insecure actors tend to get caught up in from time to time. Totally. Wow. Wow. That's an amazing, because honestly, I think there are a lot of people out there who the, the, the beginnings of their career were like, I don't know. I was drunk and I grabbed a microphone. It's very cool. It's very cool to hear that there was so much um, thought behind yeah, it. Yeah. I kind of want to, well, we should probably go to break now. Yeah, but then we'll let's get, do okay. that. We'll be right back. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including calorie-smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. 
Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. When my fridge is stocked with factor meals, I'm like, oh baby, I don't have to think about this. Mm -hmm. Like, it is so nice. The combinations are so good. I am a meat eater, but the vegetable options, there are so many. Like, I remember I had like a, it was like a mushroom with pasta and like a cauliflower rice. And I was like, the mushroom is filling. Like there's plenty of uh, portion, there's plenty of vegetable, and there's plenty of flavor. And I am usually sort of not a microwave person. Mm -hmm. Very cool that this quality of food can just be heated up in the microwave. And so fast. I also love it because I am a, a very much into ordering delivery. I and know. now having all the food there, I can kind of pick what I want and it's ready in two minutes. I don't have to wait an hour for stuff to get delivered. And these are way healthier options than ordering delivery. Completely. And when they have multiple things in them, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, if I cook for myself, all I'm going to eat is the biggest bowl of pasta you've ever seen in your life. But this oh, is yeah. like, you get a little pasta and the chicken and a vegetable all in one dish. Looking for gourmet meals try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon shrimp truffle butter broccolini and asparagus and factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping cooking or cleaning up all you got to do is heat up and savor the good stuff customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need pause to reschedule deliveries that suit your lifestyle and we're celebrating earth day all month long with factor look out for the earth month eats badge on the menu items for their lowest carbon footprint meals head to factormeals.com slash sloppy seconds 50 and use code sloppy seconds 50 to get 50 percent off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code sloppy seconds 50 at factormeals.com slash sloppy seconds 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. That's a sleigh, baby. And we're back! Wait, but you told us all this, but I want to know, how did that first show go? How did you look? How did you feel? Yeah, how Looking did you Looking back look? on it. I was terrified. And that is the one thing, I've addressed this in my last show, is that being a drag queen and stepping out onto a stage, and I don't drink before a show. Mm -hmm. I have so much that's memorized, and I have to be really focused. Mm. And so, um, but... That is like a metaphor for life and how we should live our lives is that once you're out on stage and you've stepped into that spotlight, there is absolutely no room for failure. You cannot turn back. You can't walk off stage. You have to deliver. Absolutely. And, and that's sort of like a great metaphor for how we should be living our everyday lives. You know, just like step into it and deliver. And uh, so that first show, I was terrified. I fucked up. I, you know, I looked down and saw my parents sitting in the front row and I wanted to kill them because I had told them not to sit in the front. And uh, <laughs> they said afterwards, we were so afraid people were going to throw tomatoes at you <gasps> that we sat up front to protect you. Oh, oh my and God. They were so afraid of me being openly gay and yeah. talking about openly gay because not a lot of people did it back then how big was the space the theater that oh, you were in oh it probably fit like 75 uh -huh. people 80 yeah. people but you know what was amazing was that i became 
uh, very quickly, I don't want to say an overnight success, but word went around the city very quickly that there was this drag queen doing something that no one had ever seen before. Oh, wow. Like she's talking about the Catholic church and AIDS and politics and she's angry, you know, and she's singing live. And so um, it suddenly became popular. And then it, it started to get uh, reviewed in like the major papers. <gasps> and, and, and so I created this like thing. And, and what was interesting was that I was never cocky about it, but there was always that little part of me that was like, I knew it. I also think there's a um, we're so inundated with fucking media and content and information these days. There is such a it, we'll never get back to it. The magic of making something in an organic way. And I think younger generations will never sort of understand this. They'll have their own, you know, equivalent when it comes to technology, but make make they have a tiktok the making a live show and then feeling it buzz its way through yeah. the city seeing the articles pop up all of a sudden being like oh more people are here tonight or going places and everyone's talking to you about it that that must have felt like a tidal wave like lifting you up it was it was it was such a magical time in new york city for me and um you're right i don't think I mean, I guess it happens differently. Yeah, they but, see numbers going yeah, up yeah, with the virality. Yeah. They're, they're still like, just laying on their couch. But it's not you know spreading I mean? organically, and it's not getting no. like word of mouth, which is... I remember feeling. years ago, young kids used to write to me on... Uh, before any of it, like it was internet was new. Live journal? And they would say, we want to be famous like you. How do I become famous <laughs> like you? And I'd be like, first of all, I'm not famous. And <laughs> but secondly, you are! Not really, but, I, but secondly, I thought... That should never be the goal. Right. That's not the goal. But you know what? It is for a lot of well, people. Well, now it is. Yeah. And and they they become famous. And that is the goal for, for a lot of people. And then they're empty. And, and that five. makes me a little sad because um I think what what are they really saying? What what how are they changing the world? I think that's what's so sad is that I, I turn on the TV and I see, you know, the other night I was at my mom's house and I there was a show like my thousand pound sister or the thousand yes! pound oh, yeah, the sisters. Yeah. Tammy. And I thought, well, they're they're like ama- I'm sure they're amazing people, but I no, thought like, what? Tammy's a bitch. <laughs> oh well <laughs> I I, I didn't other. watch it, but I just Abusive. thought it's so so wild that this is where we're at. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. we're like voyeurs and we're not interested so much in art or how something is orchestrated to make you feel something. Just like just Mr. Warhol was correct. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So Um, I I have a question. So how long after your first show did you start getting into movies? Because you were in Tu Wong Fu, I think was the first time I saw you. Yeah, I was in one movie before that that I will not mention. Ah! Um, But Mm -hmm. it was was (laughs) terrible. um, Horrible. (laughs) Yes. But then Tu Wong Fu came about. Yeah. uh, and that was the first. I mean, I'm only in it for a short period of time, but it was a great experience. It was very memorable. There are two iconic shots. I wrote this down in my notes, but there are two iconic shots that I love, love, love from the beginning of that film. One is the dressing room scene where everyone's head is so tightly packed together in the mirror. And then when they say, like, girls, you know, like, you know, five minutes or whatever, and everyone sort of breaks away to reveal the scene. It's exactly. And I such made sure good directing. You're I dead just, center, right? Yeah. yeah. I, just, I decided I wanted to, um, 
I wanted to just have my bra and panties on so that when I stood up, you could see my hairy stuff. <laughs> yes, yes. It's so good. I that that kind of shot in a movie is like magic to me, especially yeah. with all of the queens. And then secondly, and I I do believe do don't you have a was who I did has have the a gun. gun? I had a gun. I cut the part out where I where I reveal it. So what what, what was the story that you did on the stage with there. the gun? Well, I just you probably heard this before, but I, when I went to audition, um, I being an actor, you know me, Paul, yeah. you understand. You're used to walking into a room and they are seeing just you yeah. in front of a camera, right? So I open this door. I walk up a flight of stairs. I open this door. And I step into a room full of the cremes of the creme of New York drag at that time from every area of New York City. Oh, wow. I didn't know there was a whole Latina scene in New York City. Oh, okay. I was I was in my little bubble. I didn't realize there was a ballroom scene in New York City. So we were all in that room together yeah. competing for a big Hollywood movie. Oh, my God. And, I, and everything in me said... Turn around and run. Get the hell out of here. And I and then I I pushed myself to stay. And they lined us up uh, in two rows. Uh-huh. And one by one, we had to walk this imaginary walkway, and we had to work it. Right. <laughs> anyway, your wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Work the I'm runway, like, diva. I'm crippled in one leg. And well, according I to Monet, you you only I have, have one leg. leg. Fuck, yes. fuck, fuck. <laughs> so. I thought, what am I going to do? And I said, I have to do the opposite of what everybody else is doing. They're giving life. They're giving it all. I'm going to give nothing. Oh, so and smart. I, looked, I, said, I said, I need a prop. And I looked over and there was a plastic cup sitting on a table. I said, there's my prop. I picked it up and I gave nothing. And the only movement I did was when I would take a sip of my cocktail. <laughs> and then at the very end, I finished the cocktail and I crushed the cup. And as I turned to walk back past all these queens, they all went, girl, that was fierce. Yeah. <laughs> I, thought, I don't care if I got this movie. They think I'm fierce. Yeah. <laughs> So then during the rehearsal, uh, during, you know, when I got, I got the, 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 not the role, I was just one of the queens, but yeah. um, during it, uh, Patrick Swayze, they, they choreographed it that every time I went to work, walk the runway, he would cut me off. Uh. And so the third time he cuts me off, I open up this purse and I pull out a pistol <laughs> and I walk behind him with a hell to the back of his pants. <laughs> Now, to me, to me, that's that's beautiful dress. Yes, that's yeah. incredible. But I think for Hollywood, it was too violent, and so they cut it out. Yeah, you and know, because, that, there's still like a little blip of the pistol, right? Yeah, yeah the at movie, the very end, like, I'm holding yeah. it, and it's like, and every, where did she get that gun from? <laughs> yeah, people have watched the movie like 50 times. They're like, wait a minute, why does she suddenly have a gun? That's Fuck. why. That's but they a, had to go and make it family friendly. Uh, oh yeah, the family drag friendly drag family queen. Friendly. Yeah, oh, I was were so you, angry. Were you also in the Cindy Lauper music video? Girls just want to have fun. Yeah, I had. I became friends with Cindy back then. Oh my gosh! Uh, because we had done a reading together of a movie that my friend Jim had written, who then later directed me in Trick. Right. There was a movie he really wanted to get made called Eighty Eights, which is one of the cabaret clubs where I worked. And uh, so it was me, Cindy Lauper, Nathan Lane. And then we did another reading where it was Cindy Lauper, myself, and um, who's the hot Italian guy that has that show in Italy now where he goes around Italy? He, 
Oh, I can't oh Stanley Tucci? Yeah, Stanley Tucci oh, yes. did a reading. Oh, oh my well. God. A young yeah. Stanley like Tucci. Oh, he was Ooh. hot. I'm like and an I'm... old Stanley Tucci. That's what I'm for. <laughs> and anyway, so I hit it off with Cindy, and then she did that. Uh, she did the video and asked me to be on it. Oh, that's incredible. And we had a we had a big fight the day of it. <laughs> you have beef with Cindy Lauper no. on yeah, music yeah. video day. She wa- I, in it. I'm wearing a little um a little uh boa. Yeah. And Coco doesn't wear boas. Yeah. You know. And Was I said that's. Feather? I don't know. It's a tiny, skinny little thing. I don't know what it was. Probably. I love it. And I said, I said, I don't want to wear this. This is not me. And uh, she said, you have to wear it. You have to. I said, I'm not wearing it. And finally, she said, you you either wear it or you're not going to be in the video. So I wore it. And then when I saw the video, I was like, you know what? She was right. I I needed that pop. My dress was a little too. It it popped (laughs) there. But on film, it wasn't popping enough. She knew. Wow. wow. Did you lady. ever apologize? <laughs> or are you still Probably not. speaking? Twice? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, I, have, so- I have no problem admitting when I'm when I'm wrong. Uh, m- more so now than back then. Me Learn too. from this, people. I, I can say when I'm wrong. I just won't apologize. Now, yeah, that's the true. next, in 1999, <laughs> you were in Trick and you delivered one of the most iconic five-minute mm-hmm. monologues I've ever seen, and it is top-to-bottom incredible. Would you do that again in that lighting? And not in that lighting. <laughs> the whole time I was like, was... they keep putting her in the shadows. Honey, the only, good thing about, the only good thing about that lighting is that people will run into me today who have never seen me live and be like, how did you get younger? Oh! That lighting is so bad. <laughs> <Work>. <laughs> I remember renting Trick in middle school mm-hmm. from the video store and like bringing it home. Hiding and it. I remember, I forgot how I did this, but I remember asking the people at the video store if my parents could see what I was renting. I remember I went up and, and I that's rented. that's a red flag for them. <laughs> well, I, I went up and I rented, you know, some some sports movie or some something innocuous, but I remember I I came up with some lie some lie like these fucking stoner kids were you know in their twenties working the video rental care that a thirteen year old gay kid is renting a movie. But I remember saying like, oh, I'm renting this as a surprise. Are can you see what movies? And they say. Um, we typically just list the number, not the title, or like something like that that gave me assurance that I could then like secretly rent gay movies. Oh, so, you're so smart. sweet! And I, I would love like that. use my allowance to go rent, you know. And I remember renting Trick, and just I was like, oh, there's like a whole life out there mm-hmm. after you seeing know, that movie. When we when when I first read the script to Trick, I wasn't in the movie. But I had told. Oh, I heard about this. I was telling Jim. I read it, and I said, "Jim, put away 88s, which is that one we did the reading of." Yeah. I said, "This is going to be your first movie," and I I recognized that at the time there weren't movies about gay people where they were just gay. Yeah. They right. weren't coming out. They weren't dealing with uh, this pandemic at the time. They were just two young gay guys looking for a place to have sex. And I thought that was such a positive thing to see yeah, right. uh, for younger queer people. But also, um, well, and it was it, it was reality. I mean, that how, how often were I lived at home? Was I having sex in my car and yeah, things like that? Yeah, right. So- um, The bushes. In the bushes. <laughs> the yeah, brambles. In the, 
on the, the exactly on the beach in Fire Islands. But my point is, is that when I had the similar experience as you were, I went to the video store and I had rented a movie called My Beautiful Laundrette. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I was, I snuck at home and my father happened to walk in as I was watching it and he stood there and I was frozen with fear. And he said to me, I know why you rented this. And that was the end of the conversation. Oh. But just to see two gay men on film, right. I, as a kid, remember thinking someday I want to be in a gay movie. And I didn't remember that until the screening, my first time I saw a trick at, at Sundance when it was over and that pretty music that they wrote for that film started, I broke down weeping because I had that moment of, oh my God, I'm in a gay movie. That childhood yeah. dream just came true. Oh, wow. And, yeah. So, uh, but I love, I, I still to this day, I love hearing stories about uh, like yours, you know, renting it and sneaking it home and how much it meant to them. Yeah. And I still like, I, I still, to this day, I think I watched it again recently, like within the last two or three years. And I was like, Oh my God, so many of these scenes are burned into my brain because I watched it in a time where there was such a drought of any type of queer content that I really, I, I captured it all into my psyche. And like, and you know, what's interesting at the time I had even told him, I said, be prepared. The gay, the gay, uh, what we used to call the gay rags. Uh-huh. I said, they're going to hate this movie. Uh-huh. So just prepare yourself for Why that. did you did say they? that? Because I knew it. Because it was sweet. Oh. At the time, and even myself as Coco, there were a lot of people who rejected me that I thought they're rejecting me because they think in order to like be, you have to be edgy. Yeah. And I, I'm a person that I think sentiment or uh, is is lovely sometimes you know it it has i listen i can be so self-deprecating and so edge you know edgy with with my humor where it goes and especially over my dining dining room table when people come to my house i require everybody to tell a shit story (laughs) oh well get ready (laughs) get ready for this part So, uh, I mean, I can, I know I can do that. I think expressing your emotions or feeling emotional is edgy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it takes a lot of guts and courage to like actually be be vulnerable vulnerable like that. Yeah. Yeah, Completely. Um, Okay. But so you said that originally you weren't in the film. Did you write that part and like lean over to your friend Jim, right? Yeah, no, what happened was Jim had asked me to to help him audition people for the first reading of what at that time was called Gay Boy. Oh. And so I went to help him read with the other actors. And I was reading the part of Catherine that would later go to Tori Spelling. When, right. when, he, when he finished the auditions, he turned to me and said, would you just read the part of Catherine dressed as Coco? And I'll explain to the audience that this will eventually be played by a, a cisgender. We didn't say cisgender back oh, then. Yeah. We said a real, real woman. Girl. Real lady. Yeah. So I said, um, yeah, sure. And so I did it. I rewrote a couple of the lines uh-huh. that made it into the movie. And everybody said, you've got to keep the drag queen in that role. And it didn't make sense. So they wrote me that part. And then I asked the writer and Jim, can I rewrite it so it's in my voice? And I edit all that stuff. And the, the wonderful line about it's big, it's beautiful, and you're going to love it is because a boy followed me home one night. 
and said it that. It was gorgeous. And he wanted, I just started dating my future husband. Uh, and I, I wish I had said yes. But <laughs> I, he kept asking if he could come up to my apartment. And I kept saying no. And he, he stood there. And all of a sudden, he looked down at his crotch. And my eyes followed him. And his cock was just hanging down the side of his leg. <gasps> and he said, he looked back up at me with this smile. And he said, it's big. It's beautiful. And you're going to love it. And I said, no, but someday I'm going to use that in something. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I just did a trick. And to see the billboard on Santa Monica Boulevard with that, it's big, it's beautiful, and you're going to love it. I thought, isn't that amazing how uh, such a moment, a New York moment could become something bigger, you know, than what it was. He's on vacation in L.A. in his short shorts, biking down (laughs) the road, looking up, he's like, that's my line. What the hell? (laughs) That's what I use on all the women. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay, we're going to take another break, and we will be right back. And we're back. You mentioned Sundance earlier. So I want to talk about, because I heard a little bit of this story. We had uh, Marla on on the show. Uh, I want to talk about Girls Will Be Girls. It is one of my favorite films. I watch it all the time. And I know there's a second one out there. Mm. I just need to see it. Me too. I'd love to see it. Oh, you haven't even seen it. No. Oh, no. He didn't didn't finish it yet. He he promises me that someday it will be finished. But I have many fans who are very angry at me because we did a GoFundMe and they never got their product. You know, Uh, I feel badly. I didn't know. Yeah. Way to to bring the mood down, Meeple. Oh, no, 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 no. So that one was at Sundance. (laughs) Right, the uh, 2003 film. Yeah. I yeah. heard that you all went to Sundance and no one was featuring you. No, and you we were, were all being we dragged, and we you were, couldn't get into any of the parties. Is this what no. happened? Yes, totally. We were so rejected at the screening. People were getting up in droves and walking out of the film. What? Yes, and so we the next evening we had to go down into the like the real city, not where Sundance is, but the the, the bigger city where the party oh, okay. um, nearby. They were going to have a screening there for just a general audience, and I thought, Uh-oh. okay, if people in our industry hated it, how are these <laughs> like oh, no. Joes and Marys from Utah? gonna react to this no so we purposely sat in the last row next to the exit in case we had to run out Uh we were really we were scared Uh, yeah and the general audience loved it girls even in utah when yes when i was forced to give the doctor the blowjob women were hitting their husbands and boyfriends going you see you're all pigs like like laughing and just being like that's you and and they totally got it and i thought oh that's really interesting the industry because it's so politically kind of incorrect at times felt as though they needed to uh and what's this is this is true you know in the in the movie I, uh, one of the big upsets was that in the movie, my character purposely goes and gets pregnant so she can go to have multiple abortions. So she can run into her abortion doctor. Mm -hmm. Well, Richard, who wrote the film, everything in that film is fiction, except that he knew a woman that (gasps) did that. 
And so he said, isn't it funny that people were so upset about the one thing I based on reality? Oh, wow. so, <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, but we were totally rejected there. And the New York Post at one point, our, our promoter said, mm-hmm. oh, would you like to interview the girls from Girls Will Be Girls? And he yells back, uh, we, the New York Post doesn't do drag. And I turned into that Bronx, you mother, you know, and I just started cursing him out. No, it was, but we had so much fun. Oh my and God. I have a great, I have a really great memory with Varla Jean Merman there of something she did that was so embarrassing. What? But I'm not going to share it now. No, you have too to. Long of a, it's too Come long on. of a story. Don't tell it. We got time. We got time. I've never told this story before. Oh, exclusive. Okay, very quickly. One of the movies that was playing there was called The Station Agent that starred okay. Bobby Cannavale and mm. Peter Dinklage. No one knew who they were. They were, they were. This was like their first big thing. Right. And I fell in love with Bobby Cannavale. I thought Fuck. he was gorgeous. And I knew he was there. And I said, with my drag queen powers, <laughs> I'm going to run into Bobby Cannavale tonight. And I'm going to get him drunk. And I am going to blow him in the bathroom. And my husband is just going to have to give me a pass. You better better work. That's a good intention to set. So we get to this party (laughs) and you had to walk down this flight of stairs because the party was in the basement. And this was a party that was open to everybody. We were not invited. (laughs) So Carla Jean Merman, we're both dressed up. We walk to the bar. She's ordering drinks. I have my back to the cr- my my face to the crowd. She has her back to the crowd. I see walking down the stairs Bobby Carnival and Peter Dinklage, and I said, "Okay, my it's about to become a reality." Uh-huh. Sure enough, they make their way to the bar. Bobby Carnival is standing right next to me, and Seth uh, Peter Dinklage stands right behind. Varla G. Merman. Uh-huh. She turns around and unbeknownst to me, she sees Seth Green coming down the stairs, who is about five feet tall. He looks like a child. Yeah. And she starts yelling over the crowd to me. Oh, my God. He's so short. Look how short he is. And I think she had seen Peter Dinklage, but doesn't realize that he's standing underneath her tits. Oh, like, if there's an avalanche, Peter Jenkins is the only one surviving. He is, like, under her titties. <laughs> and she keeps going louder and louder. And look how short he is. Look how short he is. And I'm trying to flirt with Bobby Carnival. Now I'm more, I'm trying to get her attention. Like, he's right, he's right there. He's right there. <gasps> and then all of a sudden, she says, he, he's so short. He's like a, she says <gasps> the M word. No. no. At which point I gave up. Peter Dinklage is glaring at her. She finally looks down over her huge pointy tits and sees him and immediately goes, no, no, I meant Seth Green. And I'm like, you said the M word. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Oh, no. And and we left. We left. She cock blocked me. How dare she? You know, it's part of her mind, probably. I I, know. I forgive her. I forgive her. She's my sister. But I'll never forget that. Peter. What were you and Bobby talking about? We didn't talk. We didn't get a chance. She started in on Seth Green as soon as he he walked up. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, no. That is so... Wild. Varla, what a hoot. She is a good time. She is a true vaudevillian. 
She is so talented. And I remember the first time I saw her, I was out on the, we were doing an event together and I was out on the sidewalk, everybody performed my piece and I went out on the sidewalk to cool <laughs> off. And I heard this voice and I said, what is that? Who is that? And I went back into the club and witnessed Father G. Murray for the first time. And afterwards, we, she came outside and I got her attention. I said, I'm, I'm a fan. Who are you? And we started to, and she said, the reason I moved to New York is because of you. My friend saw you perform that monologue you just did tonight and came back to New Orleans and said, Varla, you don't belong in New Orleans. You have to move to New York. That's where people are creating bigger things, yeah, art, you know, so, yeah. So we've been very tight ever since then. Look at that. Yeah, that's... Art bringing people together. Well, let's quickly talk about Will and Grace because I think that it, it there are a lot of things. You've been on many episodes of Will and Grace. Uh, yeah, even well, not the new many, season. Many, but yeah, you but did seven. Just one, I it was in the like... I was in once the one episode years and years ago, which was very very quick. Uh-huh. And then um, I, in this new roundabout, they invited me back. I think it was two or three seasons, two seasons, I think. Yeah, yeah. And you like own a bar. You're like yeah, I owned a you're bar. Like character on the show. Yeah, it was so much fun. How did you? First of all, working at that level, that's a mainstream hit network TV show, A-list stars getting millions of dollars. Like, was that, did that feel very easy to be a part of? Like, No, I was terrified. But I will say this, guest stars like a drag queen don't make millions of dollars. No, I know. Oh, no. I mean, of course. But I w- the, the general audience <laughs> thinks that once you're on television. One you- time. Yeah, you, you're rich. And it's like, oh, God, that's so not like, the case. You guys know the SAG day rate, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, the first time I did it, there was no live audience. We were we were in a circle for that scene where I'm on the phone with my mother. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, we they filmed us all at the same time. And I'll tell you, I had a great time. I, uh, I got to meet uh, people that I really admired that were other guest stars that were on the show that time. Yeah. And... Uh, but I, I didn't feel like the cast or anybody working on the show was particularly uh, that interested in me or it, it was just a different time. And, right. dra- and I think it was because drag was not what it's become. Yes. Mm-hmm. The, I, will, I will say the writers and the producers loved me because they had seen my show. Uh. Right. But... When I went back this time, it was a completely different experience. I was celebrated. Every detail to that bar, things that you couldn't even see on television, they did just to celebrate me because I saw it. It was such a generous thing for them to do. And I was overwhelmed. The, The stars of the shows always were so excited to see me whenever I came back. They knew I was nervous. They calmed me down. Everybody was amazing. That's and good. I thought, yeah, and I also thought, when you make that much money, you should be amazing. <laughs> right, of course. Well, okay, so I'm curious about your opinion on this, because I know you're very opinionated. There's a lot of conversation uh, her recently. Opinion. No, opinions are a good thing. Oh, I know, okay. I'm very opinionated, you're right. Um, the, you know, there's a lot of conversation recently about um, straight people playing gay roles, putting, you know, obviously, um, you know, trans actors playing trans roles and and people representing their own 
uh, identities. Mm -hmm. Um, Eric McCormick is very famously straight, but that was how that show was able to be made Mm -hmm. uh, when it was made. And I think that there are, as with anything, it's not black and white, there are exceptions to the rules, like really amazing allies who sort of see the world from an inclusive and queer perspective who are are able to be on that platform and play a gay character. So I just, I wanted to know your opinion on that idea that we're moving forward into where it's like, oh, well, only if you suck dick can you, you know, do that role in Angels in America or whatever. Well, mm. being, having been someone that trained as an actor, yeah, I, I often felt like very torn up about this because I know people who are queer allies and would be great playing a gay role. Right. But, I'm also from the perspective of that there's been such inequality for so long that if there's roles for drag queens, why not just cast someone who's lived the experience? Give them an opportunity. Yes. I think um, Veneno from Spain Mm. was a great example of casting trans women to play those trans roles. And it was so beautifully done yeah that it was clear like that's why you should do this and so um maybe years from now when we have achieved equality and you know people are working and celebrated then at that time maybe yeah straight people could do it but i think now is a time to really just like if there's a role for a trans person you know hire a trans person yeah. uh, trick those two leads were were straight boys yeah and a lot of the reason was because back then, right. a lot of the people they wanted to audition would not audition for a gay role because they were gay. And they Only didn't want to be out. Only a straight boy. So crazy. It's so weird, you know. And so uh, it's it, it things evolve. Yeah. And, you know, what's important is the conversation and not making each other wrong about things, but to have right. a conversation. Mm. And today, and with cancel culture, if you voice an opinion and uh, you know you risk being canceled, and I don't think that's healthy for our society not to engage in conversations because you're afraid that you may lose everything. Right. Absolutely. And you've somehow avoided cancel culture. How do you yeah. do that? How do you do How that? I need to know. I don't... <laughs> I, know. I pick. I pick very wisely <laughs> what I have strong opinions about, honestly. Uh, and I also, I will say this: a lot of what I say that I have strong opinions about, I save it for my shows because mm. when I have people in an audience that really listen to not just sound bites or where something you've said isn't being taken out of context, but they're there for the full story and emotional, and they're hearing you say it. Uh, there's a better understanding of wh- where you're coming from. Yeah. You know, and yeah, today everything soundbites. You know, yeah. years ago when I did that interview with Liza Minnelli, now I knew Liza Minnelli from New York City. Oh. And I, I always thought of Liza, you know, I loved her. But you, you see her on television and, and that sort of frenetic energy and whatnot. It's like, yes, that is a part of her. But part of the reason she's like that is because she's so thoughtful and mm. she takes time to think about what her answers are. So when you put her on television, you can say, you got 30 seconds to answer this question. Oh, dang. You know? And so when I did that interview with her, the one thing people came away saying was, I can't believe how intelligent and Mm. calming and 
focused Liza was. I'm like, that's Liza I know, but you're seeing the- The frantic. The frantic, you know, 30 second yeah. things. And, you know, anyway, so- what you're, I, talking I, I, what you're talking about is conversations with Coco, which is the fundraiser yeah. that you did for the LGBT yeah, I, center. Yeah, yeah. And then we tried to get that turned into a television show, which would still raise money for the center because I'm passionate about that. But no one wanted to touch it. And um, I, it Why just not? breaks my heart. That's so I know, crazy. It breaks my, it Coco, breaks my a, heart. Coco, what about a podcast? Maybe. But it breaks my heart not oh. because of me. I feel as though I've had an extraordinary career. I've survived for 30 years doing what I do. I really have no complaints. What breaks my heart is that I know there are people out there that really wanted to see it. Yeah. And I think about my first interview that I ever did was with B. Arthur. And That's... B. Arthur's no longer around. Right. And you know what? Someday, lies is not going to be around. These people are not going to be around forever. And to see them interact with a drag queen is different. And they all said it. Um, Jane Fonda. The, the clips, really, just the, the little clips yeah. of you and she Jane just, Fonda is so at fun. First, at first, she was a little cold. Yeah. And then she realized, I'm in front of 200 queer people with the drag queen. Lighten up. And she started to have fun. And, I, and she cursed. And she used the word cock ring. And I thought, you're not going to see that anywhere, right? No. The Wait, there's the clip where she looks at you and she goes... She starts adjusting herself, and you're like, "What's going on?" And she goes, "Well, you're sitting. You're so feminine." And she's like trying to match that. And you look out, deadpan to the audience, and you say, "I'm sure my husband will love to hear that." <laughs> but I mean, the list—it's like Jane Fonda, Liza Minnelli, B. Arthur, Lily Tomlin, Allison Jan, Karen Black, so many people. Um, I think it would be incredible. You're such Me a great too. conversationalist. I, I honestly and- would love a podcast from you. Yeah, that would be great. Really- yeah, I, I've thought about that. I have thought about that. I just don't, well, maybe you can introduce me to people that can produce it because yeah, I'm that's so, yeah. all right, we'll yeah. talk. We'll talk. Yeah. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really very not, uh, I can do the artist stuff. Yeah. That's what I'm good at. You know? I, well, but, you also do your research because you had in that one clip, you got a stack of note cards with your questions. I was like, she can prepare. Oh, yeah. I, I, I do prepare. And even my, see, even my, even, yes, Absolutely. even my one person shows, they are so written that when the tech people will often come up to me after the show and say, that was word for word. Because I give them the script so they get all the sound cues right on time. That was <laughs> word for word. I said, oh, yeah, kids, I don't fuck around. But I will tell you uh-huh. that I find my freedom through discipline. Uh, oh, and, work. And it's not by just... My freedom really comes when I'm so disciplined. It gives me the space to feel so secure that I can just relax and have fun. Yeah, and I find I my freedom on... through tequila. <laughs> you know what Meeple. I mean? You know we worked I mean? together. We worked together. Like, I wait, what was that it was like? at precinct. I was probably fucking black precinct. And now I, I have to tell you, I that's when I fell in love with you backstage. I thought this person is a bundle of energy and joy. Mm-hmm. And then went out on stage and made the audience scream. I just fell in love with you. Oh, that thank you so I'm not much. blowing, you know, I'm not blowing air up your ass. I, I seriously mean it. I, it was like, I love this queen. She's oh, outrageous. And, but you could tell there was a heart to it. And that's, I think that's what I need as a drag queen. It's like one thing is to be fierce and all that stuff. But if you come with a little bit of heart to it, you, I just fall in love. Oh, you're going to make me cry. 
<laughs> and on that, let's go to commercial break so I can cry. <laughs> We're back, back in our final segment, and we would be remiss if we didn't talk about um, your self-created, generated social media, YouTube Your content. internet presence is oh. insane. You well, I haven't so done fun. anything for so long because of this pandemic. Yeah. And then, of course, my fans were writing in the height of like COVID. We're saying, when are you going to do another shopping video? I'm like, there's a deadly virus going around. <laughs> I really think it's appropriate to walk around stores and exposing myself and other people. So, so but how did that come about? Oh, sorry. If you're it, listening and you live under a rock, Coco makes incredible uh, YouTube content uh, where she shops. shops. She looks for bargains. What, what is you amazing played Grand to Theft me, Auto one time? That like was that great. Was incredible. That was great because that's my favorite game. <laughs> What's amazing to me is that you journey all the way to these huge stores and you look at so many things and then sometimes you may not even purchase anything. No, I just like judging things. (laughs) You know, what's interesting to me is, and what I, what, what surprised me was how many people responded to these, especially young teenage girls. These were not my fans. My fans were gay men who were growing old with me. Uh-huh. And suddenly I had teenage girls showing up at my shows with their, you know, parents. And uh, I <laughs> I get risque in some of these shows and I'd be like, oh my God. But, but they were ready for it. And I think what these kids were responding to in those videos is that I am a fish out of water. Whatever uh-huh. that expression is. It's like, I'm in the middle of a Kmart where I clearly don't belong, especially with all that fluorescent lighting. And yet... <laughs> I own the space where I am. You do. You're so regal when you're walking around. It's yeah. it's Meatball's how, nightmare to be out in public and But drive. I've been I've yeah. done it numerous times, but like I feel like maybe I'd be more comfortable in a grocery store, but instead they have me running up and down like Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> which is like a very different experience when it's like you and a bunch of supermen guys dressed yes. up. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> um but how many times have you been like asked to leave a store every time the really? only time okay the only time i was not there were two times i was not asked to leave a store one was when i was in um cost plus world market oh a name. Love, we love the world market okay so i was not kicked out of there because the manager was turned out to be a fan of mine ah! <laughs> so he pretended not to see me but he got in big trouble so i feel badly about Aww. that I mean, not he didn't get fired yeah, yeah. or anything, like that, but they reprimanded him. And then the second one, I expected to be kicked out of immediately because I stood out like a sore thumb. Was Home Depot? All these butch guys walk around with two belts and one eye, and there's me waltzing around, dancing around the store, acting like a clown. No one bothered with me. It was. That's I kept a- waiting. I was like. Don't you see? <laughs> you kind of wanted they, it at that point. Do you yeah. have like a big camera rig or it's just a phone? No, it's it, it's either a phone or we had a little camera to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's and more discreet. My, Garrett than Watts, like a, who was yeah. a big YouTuber, he used to film me early on. And then uh, me and my manager just started doing them 
yeah. scheduling. Oh, great. But yeah, we had a we had a good time, and that all started because the Target came out with the cocoa. The wig, wig. just like the cocoa. Now, and so is my there manager, a lawsuit still in order? Or? Yeah, did you get your coins? Yeah, like I could afford a lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> so we went to Target, just thinking, let's make a video for your fans, right. and that it just went wild. Your cocoa and puffs. The tension tamer team one is the one that became uh-huh. the one that went. I remember looking at the number and thinking, something's happening. This can't be real. The number's growing so fast. But Tyler Oakley had posted it uh. and introduced me to all those teenage girls. It's, it's, it, the internet is wild tonight and how it happened. And did you, know? you go in expecting to look at the Tension Tamer Tea or did you just stumble upon it and like you oh, went no, into that no. monologue? No, I... I've always included Tension Tamer Tea in my live shows. Like I make a reference to it because it's something that my my mother and I are very passionate about. (laughs) And I think the word celestial seasoning Tension Tamer Tea is just funny. (laughs) (laughs) So I just, and you know, the other thing is like, I'm I'm obsessed with details. So if, if you say tea, that's not funny. If you say celestial seasons, entertainmenty, that's funny. <laughs> Have they reached out? Uh, no. Well, sort of. But what happened was I'm someone posted a magnet that they had, and they said, "Coco, you." I said, oh, I would love one of those magnets. Oh no, it was a tea tin. That's what it was—a tea tin. I said, oh, I love one of those tea tins, and. Uh, celestial seasonings. They were they were at, they were in this conversation. They wrote to me, "Well, Coco, go out and buy a box of tea. You'll get one." <gasps> I said, "Really? How, oh, about, dare. how about you send me one?" Yeah, and Faggots I shamed did not know about tension tamer tea exactly. until Coco no. came uh, on the scene. Public shaming <laughs> is the key to everything nowadays. <laughs> it really them. is. Girl, you should have seen the basket of goodies I got. It was gigantic. And so, uh, and then they put you on a block list right after it was delivered. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you heard exactly. it here first. A little shame goes a long way, divas. Uh, but but be- before we finish up, I do want to mention because I've been working yeah. on it so hard. I wrote a new show called Bitter, Bothered, and Beyond, oh, and it's oh I'm starting it next month in San Francisco. So if anybody's in San Francisco, I'll be at the Oasis. But <gasps> um, you know, it's very interesting. All of my shows sort of are very hopeful and whatnot. And it was very hard to write a new show with this pandemic and haven't been out of work. And I just didn't feel very inspired, mm-hmm. but I managed to do it. And it comes from that different perspective as well. So it'll be interesting to see how the audience receives it. It still has hopeful, but it's just not, it's just a little bit more bitter and bothered, I think. Well, it's like, how can you not talk about it when, uh, but all we want to do is not talk about it. Yeah, That's right. how we feel on yeah. the show. We're always yeah. like, we're not going to talk not gonna about do the it. pandemic. Yeah. And then we do because yeah. like we're all in it. Yeah. And I address it in, in what I think is a funny way. Right. But um, the underlying messages, you know, like it, it's hard to be hopeful nowadays. Yeah. And yet we still have to push forward. So when where else are you it? taking the show? Yeah. Uh, it'll, I'll be in Seattle and Portland's in, uh, Florida, in New York, you know, <laughs> New York just city, the one city you could have used your, uh, Bronx accent on, you went you straight up New York. <laughs> New York. <laughs> oh, sorry. New York. What? New York. I, I'm going to try to come see it in San Francisco. If it doesn't mess up with my schedule, I would love to see it. 
Let me know. I will. I'd be so excited. Where, where can I'll be people... very nervous? I'll be very nervous because it's 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 really going to be like the dress rehearsal. I've never. Well, done she'll it bring before. you some tension tamer tea. I Fun. will. I'll yeah. bring you gifts. Oh my god, this will be so fun. Where uh, can people find out about tickets and showtimes? Do you have that uh, it's, listed? It's on the Sam. Uh, um, I think it's sfos.com. Yeah, yes. they, they're selling tickets now. Now we, uh, you very uh, astutely looked at the clock. You know that we are wrapping up. We do typically end our show with a little segment called Fuck Talk. In which we tell a wild and crazy sex story. Oh, okay. Um, but you did also mention uh, that you can't come to, uh, you can't have dinner with Coco without a little shit talk. So we could also take a poop story because we do that a lot on this show we as do. well. Our last episode, uh, a poop story made me gag. Yeah, it really did. I can't sell it. <laughs> oh, you can't? I, I can't tell the one disgusting sex <laughs> slash poop story that happened to me. Our show is uh, literally called Sloppy Seconds. You can say, <laughs> you can say whatever you, you need. I oh, God, was going to share um, that on. I recently took a road trip and I shit my pants as a grown adult person. What? I've I done was, that. I was walking. I, I, I stopped. I got gas. Uh, uh, and then I thought I had gas. And as I was walking into the gas station to use the bathroom, I let what I thought was a fart out. And then I was like, it's wet in there. Yes. And I went into the gas station bathroom. And lo and behold, I had to clean all that up. And then I just, the one thing I bought when I left was uh, diaper wipes. They had Huggies there. And so... <laughs> I went up to the cashier and I was like, please, thank you. And I went out and I was kind of in like an abandoned part of, you know, Colorado, Arizona or whatever as I was driving back. So I just pulled the car around to the back of the gas station and fully cleaned myself. Well, and I was like, I, I am a grown up person. Yes, I How have did a this similar happen? story. I would never. In the, you've never you shit your pants, You shit yourself people. all the time. What are you talking she about? She doesn't even realize she shit herself. She's oh my God, I'm shitting, right, I'm shitting right now. <laughs> You are, I can see it. I see that steam rising Ooh. behind you. I, I can tell this story, but yes, okay. I was driving home and I started to feel that gurgle in my guts. <laughs> and I thought, ooh, I bet, if, I bet it, I was driving on the West Side Drive of Manhattan and yeah. my friend lives on 59th Street. And I said, I better pull off here and see if he's home. And then I thought, by the time I find parking, what if he's not home? Let me just continue. I still lived in the Bronx. I get onto the Cross Bronx Expressway, dead stop traffic. <sighs> then I'm in pain. Then Sweats. the sweating starts, <laughs> all of that. And I'm convinced that people are looking at me going, honey, look at that queen. She's about to shit in her pants, right? <laughs> and I'm just suffering so badly. And finally, I, I just said, I have to shit in my pants and I shit in my pants and I was stuck in that shit for like another hour and you know 40 minutes sitting in this traffic horrific traffic and when I got to where the, the accident whatever it was called I was literally like I need to see decapitation I need to see blood and death I shit my pants I need to see horror you know and it was, it was a, I don't know what happened, but I finally got home. But can you believe to this day, we bought a car that has heating in the seats. Uh -huh. I can't turn it on because it always reminds me of when I shit in my pants. That hot, that so, hot seat. That hot seat. <laughs> I, my husband will surprise, 
he'll put the heater on and I'll be sitting there and all of a sudden I'll have that flashback to shitting in my pants. I said, turn that off. I can't. It's, it's, I have PTSD. Did you have to throw all the clothes out? Oh, I probably at least threw the underwear out for sure. Yeah, but th- yeah. that other story with the sex slash yeah. caca, I did throw the clothes out. I will say that. Oh, I just remembered one. I think maybe I've told it on here before, but I think it's a good one. So it was my first time going to a sex party in Folsom. Uh, okay. At, like I think it was called like I don't even remember. It was like Raw Dog or Cum Pig or something like that. And you go downstairs and there's like a red room. Like you check your clothes in and you walk into a room and all the lights are red and you can't really see much. Any, anything color is just black and white basically. And yeah. so I see a big dick and I go over and start sucking it and it tastes terrible. And I was like, oh. Oh my God, what is that? And he pointed at somebody and said, his ass. Oh yes, you did tell the story. That's awful. And Hello, Shardia. And the ass in question, I know. And the ass Wait. in question was Layla McQueen. <laughs> I'm just and so what did you do? Oh did you I say, stopped. Sir? I went I went to the bar and got a tequila soda and then waited in a long ass line for the bathroom and just like thought about my life and thought about my choices. And also, then she went back and then she went back and sucked it. Yeah, yeah I poured yeah, the tequila. Like, did anyone that, have a baby? Uh, no, wife? she said that tequila will kill anything. <laughs> poured it right on there. It went back to digging it. Well, I I'm not gonna tell the story, but I will just say this. <laughs> you, you, I'm not gonna tell the story. Well, I, I was topping oh, oh, at, with the bob at, with, with this young guy that we just met, and he, you know, uh-huh. he oh, released it on me. He released. Painted. But what was so crazy was that there was next to his bed, I had noticed even before this, there was an article open in one of the gay uh, little newspapers open to an interview with me. <gasps> and I'm looking at my picture, knowing that this guy had been reading an interview about me. And now he had just shit on me and didn't even realize <laughs> who he had shit on. <laughs> and you're sure he didn't know it was you? Out he of didn't that. know. There's no way he knew it was me. No, 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 no. He's, we were both drunk and it was, I was very young. Oh, it is so interesting. God. I think um, just gay people love shit. No, we. It's a one commonality that we can all connect on when it comes to sex. There's always somewhere a shit story, even though yeah. mine was literally just about not being able to hold yeah, my own shit. Yeah. But that's fine. All right, I could have just told a better story, but this Honey, is my you, platform. So you'll work. We you'll work on it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you'll really learn doing, to sell I'm it doing later. My exercise so think, right now. It's important <laughs> to have goals. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Oh, this was so wonderful. Only with you people would I have the guts to even venture to tell some of those stories. Those are the stories I share with close friends over the dinner table, but I'm happy that uh, you broke the I'm happy you told them. I love it. I'm sure there's a million more, and I can't wait to come (laughs) see your show. Where can everyone find you on the internet? I'm on uh, Instagram and, you know, all those things, and... uh, and my my website that people still use them is kokabu.com and everything's usually listed there as well. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for listening to Sloppy Seconds. You can follow us on Instagram at Sloppy Pod. Send us an email to sloppy seconds pod at gmail.com. 
Did you What's know that? that? Calm? Oh my god. Or call him with your <laughs> fuck talk story to 213-536-9180. We're Big Dipper Jelly and Spicy as Meatball on Instagram, Fat Jack Meatball, and Big Dipper Jelly on Twitter and TikTok. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't ever miss an episode, which comes out every Tuesday. Goodbye! Bye! Bye! Bye. doo 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 forever dog. To listen to Sloppy Seconds ad-free and one day early, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. Sloppy Seconds is produced by Forever Dog and Moguls of Media, a.k.a. Mom. Hosted by Big Dipper and Meatball. Music, editing, and sound design by William Pitts. Executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Big Dipper, Joe Cilio, Brett Boehm, and Alex Ramsey. Our artwork was drawn by Christian Cimarroni. And our theme song was written by Mike Malarkey.